All right, morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Thank you for being here this morning on what is the start of an incredibly important series uh, for our church. Uh, over the next four weeks, uh, we're going to be studying what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality. Uh, here's where we're headed over the next four weeks. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look specifically at what does the Bible say about gender or the idea of being transgender. Uh, next week, uh, we'll dive into what does it say about sexuality and same-sex attraction. The third week, we'll look at identity. And then finally, we'll finish with a week on the really hard practical questions that Christians ask about these topics. You know, I've spent much of the last year uh, preparing, reading, and studying for this series, and so there is much that I want to share with you, uh, but I can't cover every issue and every question. And so if you leave here today saying, yeah, but what about, I want you to know that in some ways, this is just kind of like one message that lasts for four weeks, so it may be that I'm getting to it on week three. Also, we're going to have bonus teaching content on all these issues in our house groups uh, every week, and so if you're not in the house group yet, great time to get in the house group, uh, and I just, I can't hit everything, and that's one of the reasons we've developed a resource page for you on our website. The link is right on our homepage. And so on this page, you can take a look at it here, uh, there are 13 books and websites I've personally read and personally recommend to you on this issue. Uh, I would love for you to check that out. And so we're gonna dive into this a challenging topic. Uh, this is not a small thing. In fact, according uh, to Gallup, 7.2% of U.S. adults now identify as LGBTQ+, and you'll notice that that percentage is increasing over time. In fact, if you look at the red bar, the one that's on the far right, what that's saying is that 19.7% of Gen Z, which for this study would be 18 to 26-year-olds, now identify this way. Some studies done in the last 12 months say that number is now 21% or 23%. And if we break down Gen Z by gender, there's a stark difference between men and women. 16% of Gen Z men identify as LGBTQ+, but look at this. Uh, now, 31% of Gen Z women, as almost one in three, now identify this way. And so we, we need to talk about this. This has become such a strong theme in our culture. So it's important for us to know as Christians, uh, what, what does the Bible say about it? But as we go through this series, we are going to seek to balance a teeter-totter that I think very easily gets out of balance on this topic. Uh, it comes from Ephesians 4.15, which challenges Christians, and it says that mature Christians speak the truth in love. But sometimes on this subject, Christians tend to elevate love and then neglect the truth, where there are plenty of other Christians that they jam the truth down someone's throat with no love involved. But our Jesus balanced both. And he spoke the truth, but in love. And that's what we're gonna to seek to emulate in this series. And as we begin to dive into this topic of gender this morning, let, let me show you the three main questions we're gonna to cover today. Uh, number one, we're gonna look at what is happening. Uh, number two, what does the Bible say? And then number three, how do I know what is right? So let's start with that very first question. Number one, what's happening? So 20 years ago, uh, honestly, if you go back even 10 years ago, doing a message like this in church wouldn't have even crossed most people's minds because it would have seemed like such a narrow, minor topic. But now, questions on gender have become a major part of our culture. And so what is happening? 
Well, millions of people are now experiencing what is called gender dysphoria. Uh, If you don't know what that is, gender dysphoria is this. It is a feeling of discomfort or distress when one feels that they are a different gender than their biological sex. And then if someone wants to pursue that different gender, they may take on the label of transgender, which may or may not include wearing the clothes of the other gender, a name change, cross-sex hormones, surgery, or other things. Uh, Many other people prefer the identity of non-binary, which is a belief that gender is not a binary. A a binary just means a system where there are only two options, but someone who identifies as non-binary would not identify as exclusively male or exclusively female, but something different. And we, we are seeing an exponential rise of people identifying as, as something different than the sex they were born with. And this is in part because our society has shifted its moral foundations to now say that right and wrong is in the eye of the beholder. And it's that shift that then allowed people to say that gender is not the same as a biological sex that one was born with, but gender can be determined by how one feels. And as a result of that new belief, sort of the splitting of biological sex and gender, there have been a massive rise of those identifying as non-binary or transgender. For example, look at these stats. This is from the Maine Gender Clinic in the United Kingdom. In 2009, the main clinic there treated 51 uh, children and teens for gender dysphoria. Uh, By 2016, that had exploded to over 1,700 kids. By 2019, uh, they had treated over 2,300 kids in a year for gender dysphoria. Uh, There was an exceptional rise in females. In fact, that's a 10,000% increase among females in just 10 years. Or here in the United States, if you go back to 2007, there were zero specialty pediatric gender clinics in America. Today, there are over 100 across this country. Now, I have no idea what you think on this issue. In a room this size, I would guess we're kind of all over the map. But the reality that I think we all can agree on is that the number of people that are feeling gender dysphoria is increasing rapidly over the last decade. But before we go any further into discussing kind of the morality of this, I want to be very clear on something. What we're talking about this morning is not just numbers. We are talking about people, okay? These are the teens or the young adults of people in this church or siblings. Some of you, it's your neighbors. It's your friends. This is not just a debate, okay? It's not just a discussion of ethics. This is about people, real people whom God loves and wants to walk with. So we're all on the same page on that. So now let's move forward to our our second question of the morning. Number two, so what does the Bible say about this? And before we actually open this up, uh, let me say that much of what we're going to read from the scriptures during this four-week series is going to sound foreign to our ears. And that's because For most of us, we have been trained, we have been instructed by the culture on this issue and not the word of God. But as I say to you so often, remember the Bible challenges every culture differently. Uh, For example, uh, every summer I go to East Africa for a couple weeks. And when I'm teaching in East Africa, if I'm reading a scripture of passages on say corruption, 
that makes people in the audience feel incredibly uh, uncomfortable. But for most Americans, you go, I love that. I totally agree with the scripture. We need justice. We need fairness. That is completely important. Love it. But on the opposite end, in America, when we teach about what the Bible says about sex, it's painful. Because for our culture, it's very different. But remember, we each, no matter where you live on the planet, we have to be willing to let God challenge our culture. If you never let God challenge your thinking, and and you notice that God happens to agree with 100% of what you agree with, you're probably not actually worshiping the real God. Okay, so what does God himself say? Let's let's open our Bibles now. There's a Bible uh, in front of you. If you're in the front row, it's underneath your chair. I want you to open up. We are going to go all the way to page one this morning, okay? Uh, (laughs) And we're going to look at the very first chapter of the Bible. When God created our universe, he created our earth, and he created humankind. And I want you to notice what God says about his creation. So we're chapter one, and we're going to start at verse 26. So if you find the little 26, uh, you'll be in the right spot. Okay. It says, then, God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so God creates humans, and we don't get a lot of detail, but one of the key mentions that we get in this little narrative is that he created them as male and female. A sex difference is an important way that God's image is shown. We are not genderless human beings, but we were intentionally, we were purposefully created as man and as woman. The gender was in God's good plan when he created humans and when he created you. And he gave you your body. And we actually see if you keep reading at the end of Chapter one, it says that when God finishes his creation, it says God saw all that he had made, and it was good. In the New Testament, in the Bible, Jesus actually reaffirms this same teaching. Now I'm gonna go through a bunch of verses here, so we're gonna put them on the screen for you. While Jesus was being asked about marriage and divorce, he said this, this is Matthew uh, chapter 19. Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You see, because God intentionally and purposefully made us a certain way, he's called us to then act and live consistently with the sex that he has made us. This is why the Bible warns against even cross-dressing in Deuteronomy chapter 22. It's why we're called to honor him with our bodies. First Corinthians chapter six says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And part of how we do that is by trusting in his design for our bodies, not by working against the design of the creator. Because he made us differently. All right, God created men and women differently. Women can become pregnant. Men cannot. Our bone structure, down to our our muscle mass, our hormones, uh, they're different. Our chromosomes, all all the way down to the molecular structure, we're different, right? Females are XX, males are XY. We're different. However, we need to be careful 
to not go much beyond what the science of biology shows us and what the truth of scripture shows us. Going beyond that, I think is in part in why this last decade has been so confusing for so many. So let's do a little history. Okay, if you go back to the 1950s, in America, gender stereotypes ruled the day, right? We said to all the little boys, boys play with guns and they don't cry, right? And girls, they wear dresses and they they don't play sports, right? And on and on, and that was sort of 1950s America. Well, by the time you get to kind of the early 1990s and into the 2000s, culture at large began to sort of knock down gender stereotypes and more. And kind of the ethic of the culture, so I'm not talking about Christianity, I'm just saying American culture at large, the ethic of the culture was just be happy with who you are. We said if girls wanna hunt, great. If a boy wants to wear a pink shirt to school, great. And the culture just kinda said things like just love yourself, just love the skin that you're in. And you can still kind of hear this sort of thought around our culture today, but over the last decade now, that sort of 1990s-ish morality is now being replaced with another new type of morality, and gender stereotypes are reappearing. Why? It's because if it doesn't matter who we are, like 1990s sort of ethics, if it doesn't matter who we are, then none of us can have an identity. An identity is king in America. And just practically, because we're increasingly told in society that it's important for us to have an identity in our gender, a gender identity, sometimes even practically at work, at school, people have to share their pronouns. However, if the culture says that we should no longer define gender by our biology of our bodies, What is the only way left to define gender? So if you're trying to figure out, am I a man, am I a woman, I can't look at my body, what's the only way left? Gender stereotypes. And so they are quickly re-emerging in American society, right? And so now again we're saying, do you like sports? Do you not like makeup or long hair? Do you feel uncomfortable when you wear a skirt? then perhaps you should consider identifying as a man. That's what our culture says. Or where the teenage boys are told in our culture, I see you, you're really into art and thought and reflection and music. You just have a depth of emotion. And they're told perhaps you should consider identifying as female. But what is that? What, what are those? Those are just cultural stereotypes. Many of them aren't even true across generations or across different cultures on our globe today. And so I think as Christians, one really quick and easy contribution we can make here is to be committed as a people to stop focusing on gender stereotypes. Christian author Rebecca McLaughlin says it this way. She says, Jesus was the perfect man but he was no gender stereotype. He had the power to silence storms, command angels, and kill death, and yet his arms held babies. He cooked for his friends. His hands healed the sick, and his words brought comfort to the weary. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept like a mother hen gathering her chicks under his wing. Jesus longed to gather the children of Jerusalem to himself. We must affirm the goodness of male and female bodies without clinging to unbiblical gender stereotypes. Listen, the whole Bible is full of different stories that would challenge our sort of 21st century American stereotypes of gender. Like David played the harp. 
And he wrote poetry, okay? Deborah commanded an army. Jacob, from the book of Genesis, right? He didn't like to hunt, but he preferred to stay inside with his mom and cook, okay? You know, I remember being a teenager, and I definitely remember key parts of growing up where I thought, I'll just be honest with you, I thought to myself, I don't feel very manly. I didn't like to hunt. Uh, I had zero interest in going out to fish. I remember even in middle school, you know, a lot of my peers and friends were like getting into like grunge music and stuff, and everybody was into Nirvana and Pearl Jam, and I just really liked boys to men, you know? (laughs) But just because I didn't perfectly fit into the culture's stereotype of what masculine currently is, doesn't mean that I should then identify as non-binary or pursue becoming a female. No, those things about me. And honestly, whatever it is that is unique and different about you, they just mean that you don't follow a stereotype. And remember, a stereotype literally means a simplified idea of how things generally are. They don't describe everyone. So God has made you in a certain way. And he's calling you to live in that way. Trust him in that. Okay, but maybe you're still thinking, understand, I'm tracking with what you're saying, but at the end of the day, I do not agree with the Bible. And the reason I don't agree with the Bible is because this is who, what I'm feeling as a different gender, this is who I am. It's It's how I feel. And so why would I listen to this? Okay, that's a good question. And that brings us to our third major question of the morning. And that is, how do I know what is right? So the Bible says this, okay, the culture says that, so how do we know? How do we know which one is right? Well, here you have to ask, where does the authority lie for right and wrong? Like, who has the authority to determine right and wrong? This is one of the key questions of life. Like, who has the authority? Is it American society in 2024? Was it American culture in the 1950s? And what about the other cultures around the world? Right, do the Kenyans have a say? The people from Mozambique, the South Koreans? Because by the way, their cultures would vehemently disagree with American culture on this. Or do they not get a say because they're not a Western culture? Or is right and wrong just up to the individual? Or what about God? Does God have a right to speak into this issue, to speak into morality? He does. And here's why. Uh, Author Andrew T. Walker says it this way. He says, the best way to live is according to the blueprint that God designed. As creatures, we can't rewrite the blueprint of our design out of our own will. A plane's engine cannot decide to be a wheel because the wheel is defined with a different purpose in mind. We have neither the authority nor the ability to rewrite or reconfigure how God made his world. It's his creation. We're just living in it. And since our bodies are a part of his world made by him, his authority extends to us. This is why ultimately God has authority in the transgender debate. This is a question of whether a creator has more knowledge of his creation than a small part of that creation. And so I trust what God has to say on this issue because as a creator, he designed the blueprint for how we are to live. Now, I think some people might respond to that quote and say, okay, I understand the creator, he's the designer, that makes sense to me, but the problem is I feel like his design for me is the gender that I feel, not my body, not my body. Like, why is it 
If he made me, why do I feel this so strongly? That is a fair question, and that is a good question. Here's how I would answer it. I would say, okay, in our culture right now, in 2024 in America, if someone's sense of gender doesn't, ma- in their mind, doesn't match their body, well, what, does, what does our culture tell them to do? We say, you need to change your body to match the feelings of your mind. But I think it's fair to ask, why is it okay to drug our bodies, even carve them up through surgery to match the feelings of our mind? Like when we sense a dissonance, when we sense an incongruence between our feelings and our body, why is it that our feelings always win? Especially knowing that our feelings change all the time throughout life. And see, that's why the body that God gave you is actually the most reliable marker of his design for you, of his plan for you, of his blueprint. It's how he created you. Trust it. Trust it even if it feels awkward or uncomfortable. And I I think that's where a lot of this debate gets confusing because if a child or a teenager were to go online today and they were to Google, am I transgender? Which plenty of them do. When you go on to those main sites, and I've read them, I encourage you not to, but when you go on to those main sites, after they go through the questions of gender stereotypes and all that kind of stuff, most of the questions read something like this. Do you feel uncomfortable with your body? They'll say, do you feel uncomfortable with your developing breasts, with your genitals? If so, you may be transgender. But let me just, to the young people in the room, let let me say something uh, to you as a former teenager. Uh, Every teenager will feel uncomfortable in their body. You do, and you will. And even if things feel so awkward right now and so uncomfortable right now, and even if it doesn't feel right to you, trust the designer, trust the creator. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He has a good plan. And even here, I think people still sometimes feel stuck because they would say, okay, despite all of that though, what about my feelings? Aren't my feelings the driving force that get to determine who I am and how I live and what is right? And I I would answer that question this way. In addition to the fact that Remember, you are the creation, not the creator. I, I, would, I would also say this. You know, th- that sort of teaching that we each kind of get to determine what is right and, and what is wrong. By the way, that is the dominant moral ethic of our culture right now, that everybody can kind of figure it out on their own. But as a person who has spent much of his adult life studying morality and ethics, I will tell you that that latest philosophy where we each can decide what is right is just the latest moral philosophy on the scene. And I can almost guarantee you that in 30 years, it won't be how the culture thinks. But God's word, it never changes, ever. And God's word, when it comes to morality, when it comes to right and wrong, it tells us that we cannot rely on our personal feelings to determine what is right for us and what is wrong. And that's because of a really core doctrine of Christianity. And this doctrine is so important for this series and is the doctrine of the fall. 
If you're not familiar with that, that's okay. Uh, in the Bible, the fall is where Adam and Eve fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. Now, before their sin, they were made by God. They were living in a perfect life. They were designed by their creator. But then when they fell into sin, it didn't just affect them, it actually changed the makeup of human beings. And then that change dripped sort of like a curse down through all of the generations. Let me show you just one of many verses on the fall in the Bible. It's from Romans 5.12. Paul writes, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so this is a lot of consequences because of his sin, And in this way, death came to all people. It affects all of us because of all sin. So we've all been affected by Adam and Eve's sin. In fact, it actually changed our nature as human beings. As a result of the fall, what actually comes most natural, most easy to us is sin. The Bible would say that we have a sin nature. And that means that each and every one of us has different sin problems that are actually a part of our sort of default nature. Some of us were just sort of born prone to anger. Some people in their studies that prove this are born prone to addiction. Some to jealousy, to, to self-hatred, you name it. And the teaching of God's word is that we don't say, I was born feeling that way, and so that makes it okay. No, we don't say that because of the fall, what we feel, the Bible says, is actually not to be trusted because it's broken. Now, don't hear me wrong. Okay, You as a person, you have value. You have so much worth because you were created in the image of God. You were born with infinite value. You're God's creation, but that doesn't mean that you were born with perfect feelings or perfect desires that can always be trusted. No, those things were broken in a fall. That's why we need a redeemer to fix us. That's why we need a guide to show us the way. And so therefore, our feelings cannot be a moral compass for what is right and what is wrong. Like it wouldn't be right If someone physically attacked you, it wouldn't be right for them to justify their anger by saying, but I've just always been an angry person. That's just who I am. It wouldn't be right for someone to justify their attraction towards children by saying, but I've always felt that way. That's just who I am. You would say, no, I don't care what you feel, right? That's wrong. Why do we say that? It's because when it comes to figuring out what is right, because we all feel differently, and because we're all fallen people, we can't trust our feelings, but we can trust the unchanging word of God. It is our compass. And I know this is hard to talk about, okay? And I know for many of us, it, we've been afraid to even begin speaking about this the past few years. I have uh, educators tell me this, uh, health professionals, psychologists, they're often told that they can't question anything and that their only recourse is to affirm someone's feelings. But I just, I I gotta say to you, it's okay to question. It's okay to question and search for the truth together. You should be able to question anything. Some of you have been questioning me this entire message and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I always feel like we should be nervous about people who don't let us ask questions and have an alternate opinion. And we should be able to ask harder and deeper questions on such an important issue. We should be able to ask questions about the risks of following our feelings over and above God's design. Take a look at this. 
According to all available studies done, and there are a lot of them, on the persistence rates of gender dysphoria, so that means does it hang around, and confusion in kids, 61 to 88% of early onset dysphoria cases end up desisting. That is, the gender dysphoria goes away after puberty. Not for everyone, but for the vast, vast majority. Why? It's because as teenagers get through this questioning phase where society's throwing all different stuff at them and they actually get to experience their grown body and not the awkwardness of puberty, the vast, vast majority of them decide that they want to be the gender that they were born with. And so I want to say to you, this is a hard word, but I want to say to you, if your family is dealing with this right now and your child is, I know people don't say this, but I I cannot urge you enough. Do not make a life-altering decision on what is, according to the best research, most typically for teenagers, a temporary feeling. You know, one of the things that's happening, because this is such a new issue, one of the things that's happening, especially over the last, I would say, 12 to 24 months, is the stories of detransitioners are growing exponentially. So much so, this is why Europe, now keep in mind, Europe is significantly more secular than the United States. But this is why almost all of Europe now has banned for minors puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and transition-related surgery for kids. It's illegal, it's against the law in secular Europe because now that we're a few years into this, too many people who are now in their early 20s are saying, mom, dad, this isn't actually what I wanted, and now I can't have kids, and now I can't go fully back. And so even if you're like, I don't know right now, you're saying this and the culture's saying this, let me just urge you in something. In the swirling waters of this fast-changing culture, trust in the unchanging wisdom of the word of God and God's blueprint. Because following, I don't care what the subject is, following after a feeling that is at odds with your creator's design, it just cannot bring you happiness. It cannot bring you the fulfillment that you're looking at looking for, and I I know, I understand that the vast majority of the culture disagrees, but think about what it's saying to you. The culture now tells you that gender is defined by its latest stereotypes, and that if you don't fit into their very limited gender mold, they're telling you that to find satisfaction that you're going to need to change how you dress. You're gonna need to change the name that your mom and dad gave you. You're gonna need to put drugs into your body. You're gonna need to physically alter who you are, all at the same time while trying to ignore that you're working against your blueprint design, against your DNA, against your chromosomes, things that honestly you just simply can never change. But they tell you that if you change enough, then you can be happy. But God tells you, you don't have to change to be loved. And if you don't fit the world's latest gender stereotype, he doesn't care. In fact, he crafted you. He made you with your unique personality, those quirks and those gifts for a reason, and he kind of likes them. And so you don't have to take drugs, you don't have to alter your body to find fulfillment because as a creature, what you are ultimately looking for is union with your creator. 
And it's when you walk in the direction of his design, not against it, that you can live more fully. It's when you walk with Jesus that you can actually know real life. And I just wanna say to you, no matter how hard this is to believe what I'm saying, and I understand that it's hard, no matter how hard it is, it is worth it because he determined that you were worth it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he came down to earth on a rescue mission for you. He saw that we were broken people, stuck in sin, just following around the impulses of our desires. He saw that we were broken, so he gave his life on the cross to die in our place because we're not perfect. And we've all sinned, every one of us, just the same. Okay, there's not some lower class of people struggling with gender dysphoria. We're all broken. And Jesus came for all of us. And this Jesus Christ who loves you, he can empower you to walk in his ways. And he will walk with you. And so will we, the people of the church. Whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're feeling, let us humbly, as fellow broken people, walk with you. And so reach out to your Christian friend that you came with. Reach out to your elder, email a pastor, and we will walk with you because Jesus walks with you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for your grace. Every one of us here is broken because of the fall in different ways, but yet you still love us and you came for us. You saw the brokenness and yet you promise us change. You can renew us and you grant us and give us eternal life through our faith and we are just so in awe of that. I just pray over this room, God, that your word would go out and you would use it for your glory. It's in your name we pray, amen.